we are very apologetic for our lackluster performance in the same song. Chris mistakenly popped the first crack of his beer before we restarted recording, and for that, he will be eternally sorry. I uh, blew my load a little early. Yeah. That's what somebody said. Anyways, welcome to Drink to the Past. I remembered to actually introduce us within the first ten minutes of the podcast. You know, that's so unusual. I think we got a drink. Okay. Deal. Hmm. Anyways, I am Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, and this, of course, is my co-host. Chris, uh, still angry at Blizzard, all that. Mm-hmm. Stupid-ass Blizzard. Not even Diablo 4 can make you forgive them. Not even Diablo 4 can make me forgive them. Oh, also, man. I'm mad at them for uh, the Blizzard, for uh, the weather on Tuesday. Yeah. It was a Blizzard. We'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, relevant. My wife is grunting in the back, so I hope nothing's wrong. But, uh, if you heard any grunting in the back, that was my wife. Tell her I say hi. Anyways, uh, <clears throat> so our first segment, after I tell you to share and subscribe, uh, you know, so as to us get, you know, followers. We have 27 subscribers now. Holy shit. Yeah. Go us. So it's... We're climbing the ranks. If we get to 100, then I said I'd do a giveaway. Um, if we get to another milestone lower than that, then I might do a giveaway. I don't know. Well, we got Our last 27. giveaway was a beer, and I still owe Chips a beer. So, Chips, if you're listening, like, you know, contact me on Discord again. Because I keep forgetting to contact you on Discord and be like, dude, where do you want me to send this beer? Anyway. Um, so, yeah, anybody you know... That would like to listen to two weirdos talk about video games and tabletops and drink beer, uh, send them our way, because we're cool, and we do that. Uh, what you drinking tonight, Chris, as we get into the news and booze segment I'm of our podcast? I'm Denver Beer Co. Pean, peanut Butter Graham Cracker Porter, which is always tasty. Yeah, um, they have, uh, one of their regulars is the Graham Cracker, but their peanut butter version of it is apparently a seasonal, which is now available. Cool. Is it good? Yeah. yeah, it's good. I've had peanut butter beers, but not many of them, and I haven't had this particular one, but I've had the regular graham cracker porter. It's a pretty good go-to that I get regularly. You know, this is... I actually usually don't go out of my way to buy growlers of beer very often, but mm -hmm. uh, I did buy a growler of this huh. last time it was for sale, so... Neat. Yeah, good old Denver Beer Company. Nice and close, too. Yeah. Uh, especially with that new location that they got. Yeah, eating burgers and basically we're just advertising for Denver Beer Co. Yeah. Right now, I so. mean, technically we advertise for somebody like every week, but the other beer of the week this week is uh, Pretzel Assassin, which is an amber lager, which I've had from Denver Beer Company several times, but I don't think I've had it on the podcast. How is that? I might have. Hmm. Actually, quite a lot of flavor for a uh, amber lager. Um. Nice malty kind of backbone. Uh, real, like, a lot manlier than like Most a lot lager. of amber lagers. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's better than Avalanche, which is uh, probably a more popular one around here because that's from Breckenridge Brewing Company, which was, uh, they've been distributing, like, all over the place since they were bought out from uh, Anheuser-Busch. Uh, they, they still make pretty good beers, but... Um, I don't know. I gotta wonder if being corporatized has made any noticeable difference. 
Well, not that I've noticed, because like basically the only thing I drink from them most of the time is the vanilla porter and avalanche, because those are on tap like everywhere. Why mess with success? True. I mean, if you're if you're a big company buying a, a smaller company that does like some higher quality stuff, some craft stuff, you wouldn't want to mess with what made them profitable in the first place. Right. Yeah. So, uh, what you give that on a scale of three to seventeen? Give that probably a 16. Mm-hmm. This is a good, solid 15. I'm going to go a couple of good beers today. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I give it extra points because it. I, I normally am like kind of meh on uh, lagers in general. Amber lagers I generally like uh, and dark lagers. But uh, not not as big as, uh, you know, I, I like the big, heavier porters and ales and things like that generally. Uh, but sometimes these are pretty good. All right, so the news and booze. The only news topic I found this week was that um, Pokemon Sword and Shield surpassed the sales number for Let's Go in Japan. Uh, this is the first 10 days of sales totals for Sword and Shield versus the lifetime sales totals for Pokemon Let's Go, uh, which are Let's Go sold 1.66 million in the last year that it's been out. Really, and, that much? Yeah, and uh, in and, and this is Japan only. Uh, and in the last in the first ten days of Pokemon Sword and Shield being released, sold 1.74 million copies. See, so, that surprises me a lot less. Yeah, of a, a real mainline title as opposed to a remake with a gimmick. Yeah, yeah, because like. People were kind of saying, oh, yeah, this is the projection. It should be the same for a Pokemon game. And I'm like, no, mainline Pokemon games always sell better than remakes by, like, a lot. So, um, yeah, kind of cool to see Pokemon uh, Sword and Shield are doing pretty well. You played them? I have not played them yet. Uh-huh. Going to get uh, on that bandwagon eventually? I am going to get on that bandwagon as soon as I have money again. Uh-huh. I was a little late onto this bandwagon, but uh, I did get them uh, this last, let's see, three days ago. So I've been playing a little bit. I'm up to the, uh, just beat the second gym. Um, it's pretty fun. It's what you'd basically expect from a Pokemon game with a handful of nice improvements to see on, because, you know, it's it's a lot bigger feeling than most Pokemon games. Because even when Pokemon kind of jumped to 3D in... Like, in X and Y, it kind of felt like a pretty good jump. But then it really didn't feel like it was innovating Pokemon in a 3D space to go to Sun and Moon. And now this feels like it's kind of pushing it forward again. Uh, you know, it's just kind of making it bigger. Uh, the, the One of the big things to that is the wild area, which is like this giant-ass explorable area. That like you can move the camera around in 3D like any other game in the entire world, huh? Which is pretty cool. Um, and pretty exceptional, exceptional for Pokemon. Yeah, uh, which uh, most of the game takes place on more or less linear paths, like you know previous Pokemon games have. But they feel more like real, more explorable. I guess they don't feel as segmented and awkward. As, like, previous Pokemon games, where it's like, yeah, in Sun and Moon, it's it's all 3D, but mostly you have, like, one straight path to go on, and it's literally just straight because they don't understand how to actually make... They understand how to make 3D models, but not how to make use of a 3D world, you know what I mean? I feel like was my problem with Sun and Moon. 
Hmm. Um, and that is more... A lot less fair, prevalent in this one. To be fair, most game developers struggle with making use of a 3D world. That's true. Good beer. Anyways, so that was the news, unless you've got any news you're hiding in that coat of yours. Uh, Noida released an update. Cool. They've released a main menu for their game. So they finally added a main menu to that game. Uh-huh. Uh, I always wanted a main menu in a that game. <laughs> cool. Having a, having a lot of fun with Noida. Sweet. It's a good game. Even without a main menu? Uh, yeah. But now you can patch in a main menu? Now it has a main menu. Crazy. It even lets you select uh, difficulty modes. Awesome. Uh, where you can select normal and you'll die a lot. Mm-hmm. You can select the daily run and you'll die a lot. You can't select nightmare mode until you win normal mode. Mm-hmm. I guess we could go over, like, Black Friday sales and stuff, but it is Black Friday, so by the time people are listening to this, it'll probably be, they'll all be over. Yep. I, I slightly burped at the end of that sentence. Excuse me. So, uh, if if you're listening to this on Black Friday, uh, stop listening in, FBI, with, like, your weird boom mics. Right. We're not criminals. Like, this guy standing behind us is kind of creepy. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I don't know, just ignore him. <laughs> right. That's what I generally try to do. But yeah, uh, vaguely interesting. The only thing I could think of from that anyways was that Limited Run Games was doing a physical run of uh, Blasphemous and Valhalla. Uh, Valhalla is a cyberpunk bartender uh, visual novel, which is really cool. And I saw screenshots of that and I just love the visual style of it. Yeah, it's got really an awesome visual style and you're almost from first person for most of the game, more or less. You're kind of like the scene that you see most of the time is the bar and then guests come in and go out and that like that's basically all you see for the whole game and you're the bartender and it's badass. It's an amazing game. So check that out. Uh, it might still be up on Limited Run Games if you look right now, if you're looking this right when I post it, but probably not. You probably missed it, sorry. Yeah. And Blasphemous is uh, like a Castlevania-style game, but it I looks like the visual style as on that gory too. and brutally difficult as Dark Souls. Yeah, it's got some pretty realistic like depictions of burned faces on like bosses you kill, which is surprising because Zingering it's all sprite work. And one of the first uh, one of the first scenes you do after you kill a boss is uh, you fill your helmet up with blood and just put it straight on your face. Yeah, like never explains why you do that. Like I totally want this game, and I'm like thinking about it. Like I might buy the physical copy just to be like, look at me, physical copy. But I might also just wait for it to go on sale on eShop. I'm not. I haven't decided yet. But I, I, I kind of want to pull that trigger. Yeah. But you know. It's a game I want, but then I look at Hollow Knight and it says, you haven't even played me yet, so. Mm-hmm. That dick Hollow Knight. Although, you know, I got Starlink and uh, Shadow of the Colossus remake in that category, so. You got you I'm got your own set of games which yeah. you haven't even touched yet. Yeah, and a bunch of them that I need to get back to, like God of War and Spider-Man. God of War, Spider-Man. Breath of the Wild. The real problem with the PS4 is that the uh, PS4 is not... Uh, Portable, and yeah. Breath of the Wild is infinitely replayable, pretty much, so... Yeah, that's so I'll, I'll just never be done with Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Just like I'm never done with Ocarina of Time. You know. It's 
speaking of which, uh, I did actually post a video on my YouTube channel this last week. Oh, I guess we could have said that. Um, so this last week was the 21st anniversary of Ocarina of Time releasing in both U.S. and Japan on, like, three days apart or something. But, um, yeah, so 21 years ago, uh, Ocarina of Time was born, so now it can legally drink. So let's drink to that. Mm. So, yeah, on my YouTube channel, I put up a video that day um, of me, first of all, taking a shot with uh, Ocarina of Time, and then I uh, continued my boss raid of what happens when you shoot this boss with the ice arrows. So, uh, I have you can go to my YouTube. It's called Drink to the Past. Check it out on YouTube. It's got, like, half an episode of one of the podcasts I recorded once, and then several videos of me... Uh, shooting various bosses with ice arrows. Yeah, I, I still haven't watched Morpha enough, so... Uh. Yeah, Morpha is the last one I just released. Okay. So, Morpha... And then, also, I did a bonus video, because after I beat Morpha, I realized, oh, wait, hold on, right when you're dropped out of the water temple is the first time you can get the fire arrows, and I decided to see what happens if you try to unlock the fire arrows by shooting the sun with ice arrows. So check out that video as well. I'll leave it spoiler free. Ooh, who knows what's going to happen? Anyway, uh, on to our video game topic, I suppose. Um, because as we've said, uh, Chris hates Blizzard and there has been a Blizzard. Uh, we're going to talk about our favorite ice areas from video games. Oh, man. <laughs> Ice so, or snow or, or you know, that, so, that sort of thing. So can we first talk about how uh, ice terrain, walking on ice terrain and platformers and most other games just kind of sucks ass? It's, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. It's, it's the bane of my existence to this day. I'm like, every time I get to the ice cavern in Ocarina of Time, I'm just like, okay, what else can I do? What side quests have I not completed? Are there any Skulltulas out there? <laughs> And it's it's never... It's not that the dungeon design is bad. It's just that it's annoying as shit to walk on the ice. <laughs> yeah, and walking on ice, it's not never that it adds difficulty in, like, an interesting way. Unless you figure out how to design a whole game about that somehow. It's always that... Right. It's just annoying. It's not a fun difficulty add. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think it has its places, slippery ice. Like, uh, the slide block puzzle in, um... Twilight Princess in the Snow, Snow Peak Ruins. Yeah. That was kind of cool, because you had, like, these blocks, and when you started pushing them, they wouldn't stop until they collided with something. So you had to position the blocks just right in order to uh, get them into the right places. And, I, you know, that sort of thing I like. Um, any kind of puzzle element with it. And there was a few puzzles like that in Ocarina of Time as well, but I feel like they were all really, really annoying in Ocarina of Time, because the entire time you're, like... Trying to collecting walk. silver rupees, having a difficult time walking, and being hit by ice keys from just out of nowhere. You're like, didn't I kill all of these? The most annoying enemy. Yes. Although you could put that in a D and D game, ice keys, have them freeze you on contact, instant stun, but they only have one hit point. Yeah, I have put keys into my D and D games. <laughs> I think you remember that was funny too, because like I put a bunch of keys in. Uh, one of my D&D &D games, uh, and then, like, my character was the Goron, you remember, and I could kill, like, one at a time, because I didn't have more than one attack in a row, <laughs> and so I was like, I kill this one, and there's still 29, <laughs> and we're like, shit, what do we do? <laughs> that ended up being one of the most challenging rooms in the game, I, or in the dungeon, I think. 
We badly needed an AoE. Yeah, because I don't think anybody had any AoE damage at all. Does it Except for mine. Uh, actually, I could have done my Goron Ground Pound, which I think does AoE damage, except only to enemies that are standing on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So, that's a good question. Somebody should have used Din's Fire, because Din's Fire literally would have just killed all of them. Would have made <laughs> short work of that room. Yeah. God, he's your enemy. But yeah, I... Ice themed areas. I really yeah, like areas, the ice, dungeons, or what have you. I really like the ice caverns from Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. I feel like they have. I feel like ice areas usually have really good music. That too is a thing. A lot of times, because uh, that's one of the things I would say really is good about the ice cavern, also from Ocarina of Time, is uh, just the music was actually really good. You know, it was very simple. And somewhat repetitive, but you didn't really mind it that much. Because it, it felt fitting, and it was well presented, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to Breath of the Wild, uh, uh, which ones are you talking about? Uh, usually the icy caverns, okay. where you go through and they're totally iced over. They're snow and ice. Okay. Mostly. I don't remember any caverns. Oh, wait, no, yeah, I do. Uh, there's a couple of places that were... Like, most of them were hidden. I feel like most of the ice areas in that game were, like, on top of the mountains, and then there was, like, a couple of good big places. Yeah. I feel like that game could have used more caves in general. Yeah, Maybe. I would have liked to see... Uh, I, I understand the difficulty they had, where they had, like, the big Divine Beast dungeons, and then they had to do all the shrines. And yeah. And caves as... Caving as a dungeon element is more difficult in general. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a minor nitpick of a near-perfect game. Yeah. You know, so, whatever. Um, but, yeah, actually, Breath of the Wild had some really good ice areas. I really liked exploring up in uh, the Hebra Mountain range is one of my favorites because you have literally no reason to go there for the entire game. But it's there, and there's side quests, and there's a minigame, and there's a just this random snowboarding dude that is like, I'm the snowboarding guru and lives on top of the mountain and sells you shields to break on your way down. I'm like, this is hilarious. And it's one of the most fun areas to explore. It's got some of the coolest uh, shrine puzzles associated with it as well. I'm like, I wish there was a better reason to come to this area than a mini game and some shrines. Yeah, there, but there's... I feel like there's always something nice about just having those big open areas just that ask you to explore them for no external reason. It yeah. feels more fulfilling to go to them because you wanted to go to them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's see. Other ice areas? Uh, yeah, I was going to mention... Um, it seems odd if you're going to mention Elder Scrolls to not mention Skyrim for ice area, but I feel like way better than anything in Skyrim was actually the, I think, first expansion pack to Morrowind, where you got to go to Solstheim. I forget what the expansion pack was called, but... The, Blood Moon? Yeah. Yeah, Blood Moon. Yeah, okay. I think. Um, yeah, and the the second one was like Dawnguard or something. Dawnguard was a... Uh, oh, Tribunal. Tribunal, right. You joined the Dawnguard or something. And then Dawnguard is... All I remember was Skyrim. that, like, it put you into a different, like, area, and then you got, like, 
the the armor of the guards in this area was just like way more powerful armor than anything you could find in the base game of Morrowind. And so literally, I think I went there, I murdered one of the guards by drinking like 12 Sujamas and hitting him with my greatsword, stole all his armor and poured it back and never went there again. <laughs> but Solstheim is actually a really awesome just snow area because it's probably close to the same size as Skyrim. Yeah, and in it's the huge Dragonborn because everything expansion. in that was huge. In the Dragonborn expansion of Skyrim, it's also really pretty. Mm-hmm. And it's, pr- I, th- I would go so far as to say it's prettier than pretty much all of the main areas in Skyrim itself. Cool. It was fairly plain in Morrowind, because, I mean, there wasn't as much graphical capability back then. Yeah. So that that was, that was basically the issue. Um, but, I mean, other than that, it was still, like, one of the best areas to explore it was very diverse there was forests and mountains and plains and all the you know kind of things most of it was snow covered uh that was the only way you could actually get your own personalized house in morrowind uh so that was the first time the elder scrolls series added that i think hmm. um because there was this whole quest to build up a small town and uh, as part of reward for helping them gather materials and fight off the monster, or whatever the quests were, I don't remember most of them, but you kind of got to know some of these townsfolk, and they gave you a house at the end of it in the town. And so I thought that was kind of cool. And as well, there's a lot of unique monsters there, because there was the werewolves there. You could actually turn into a werewolf uh, if you got cursed by it. And uh, there's, like, the Spriggans came up there for the first time they might have been in uh previous elder scrolls games i don't know but where you kill them and steal their hearts yeah i think so uh i I remember killing them and everybody in solstheim was like terribly afraid of them and then like the first time i saw one i was like that fucker looks hilarious i'm gonna kill it oh this is a spriggan this is one of these things that these idiots have been telling me they're so afraid of what the hell <laughs> to be fair by the time you get up to souls time and moral when you're already probably really strong yeah because i got actually the uh game of the year edition for xbox which came with both of the expansions and you could just take your save from the base game and it would translate it to a save for uh the game of the year edition and then you could use those expansions was how that worked and so my guy had already been gallivanting around Morrowind for fucking years <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'm, like, just crazy powerful anyways. And I'm, like, fucking one-shotting bears and stuff. Taking their hats and turning them into armor. I, although that was funny, because I had, like, no medium armor skill. But the, all the bear armor was medium. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going medium armor now. Dropping all my heavy armor, because I need to wear this fucking bear hat. <laughs> I'll also uh, point out some of the ice areas from Noida. Mm-hmm. There's... There's a secret ice area in Noida, which I'm not going to describe more in detail, but there's also the third and fourth levels uh, where uh, it doesn't have the slippy terrain, mm-hmm. uh, but it does have giant fucking icicles that you can shoot with your spells and they'll fall over and crush your enemies. Mm-hmm. Or you, if you're being uncautious. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, and then it has a bunch of fucking snipers everywhere that can kill snipe you from halfway across the map that's not very nice but it's one it's one of the first areas in the game that you get to where you start uh realizing oh shit this game has it in for me and it wants me dead (laughs) right cool 
Um, I also like a lot of the areas. Kind of a most of the game could be described as a nice area in Celeste. Oh yeah. Uh, but that that doesn't go out of its way to explicitly be ice. Like there's ice everywhere, and it's kind of part of the characteristic of the world. Uh, as as far as the in-game world goes, <laughs> but. Not all. Yeah, it's not, I, I don't know. It's not kind of a hard call. Area. Could you really call it a ice area? I think you could some, call the some areas. First I think aesthetically, but most of them are not really ice related at all. Yeah, because the third level's that hotel, and the fourth level mm-hmm. has a lot of greenery. Yeah, and so, so does, there's there's kind of diversity in it, which is kind of interesting because you're literally just climbing one mountain. But also, some of them, uh, I, I really liked some of the puzzles where the wind would come up and go down and come up and go down. And that felt really like uh, like that kind of intensity of climbing a mountain when that would happen kind of in those levels when you'd be like, you timed it wrong and the, <laughs> the wind came up and shoved you into a spike or something. And Celeste, Celeste's just an amazing game in general, so. Yeah. So yeah. Let's shout out more Celeste. If you haven't played that game already, you are missing out. Yeah, it might be on a Black Friday sale too. I really have no idea because yeah. I'm making a podcast. What I don't are you know. Doing with your life, probably uh, something more important than that. I, but you drink less beer than me, so yeah. fuck you. Mm. I'll drink to that. I'm also drinking to that. I'll drink to drinking to that. Let's see, there are ice areas in games. Uh huh. That's my favorite one. The the entire mountain in Celeste, mostly the first and seventh, right levels. I haven't actually beat it yet. I don't remember which level I was on. Four or five, I think. Were you doing the wind puzzles? Or that was. I remember I did some levels with wind, but I don't remember where they were relative to what I was when I last played. So I should that, get back to that game too. Now that I mentioned. So it. that would be the fourth level, with the wind. Okay, so so are, have you been gone into a cave yet? Into, like, a deep cave? I don't think so. Okay. So I might have just got there, or I might not be there yet and be in the wind puzzle area. Okay. If that's the dividing point, which it, I seem to believe, yeah. based on your implications of your words. Yeah, you're about halfway there. Okay, cool. So I'm, I might have just got to that, and I might... I don't know. Oh, and uh, the ice area and uh, getting over it with Bennett Foddy... Because that is the area where it gets crazy difficult, and if you screw up, you can accidentally hook the serpent and go all the way back to the be- to the very starting area of the game. Wow! And yeah, that game hates you. It's it's like it's like hey, what if we took these wallmasters and fed them a literal fuck ton of crack cocaine? Yeah. So. <laughs> So if you've never played Getting Over It before, the game is about you trying to climb a mountain with a hammer because you're a man in a cauldron. It's and pretty it's, hilarious. I, I haven't played it, but I've, I've watched some footage of our uh, mostly of Josh playing it and a couple of other like times it's come across my feed and I've just been like, I want to I want to do this. It looks so stupid. As soon as it comes to Switch, I'm buying it. <laughs> so, uh, you hear me, limited run games? <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> so, uh. Yeah. And the only achievements for that game are beating it once, beating it twice, and beating it 50 times. <laughs> nice. 
see. Um, yeah. So. So uh oh, nice. we're gonna get copyright striked by Queen. By Queen, not by Vanilla Ice. No, because he was copyright striked by Queen for stealing <laughs> the baseline. <laughs> he totally did steal the baseline. Completely. <laughs> like, come on, man! What the hell? You don't steal from Queen. Do, 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 do. Could you play that baseline? Probably, if I had my bass. Yeah. And if I bothered to get back into practice playing my bass. Mm hmm I practiced something once, but it was drinking beer. And playing with That's how I became an Irish musician. Oh. <laughs> At practice, it's about 10% musicianship, 35% uh, you know, showmanship, and then the rest is just drinking beer. Good to know. <laughs> Yep. Anyway, uh, so is that all the ice areas? I thought this topic would last longer, but now I'm like, yeah, what the hell other good ice areas are there? I don't know. Uh, I feel I like the Ice Ring Isle was okay from Wind Waker, but it was kind of annoying on the GameCube because there was like a... I think there was a glitch or something in the original version because like sometimes you would be walking on ice, specifically when you were walking on ice you would just walk towards the edge to jump to the next platform and Link would run straight off the edge and fall down into the water, which was annoying as shit. Because, like, he should have either jumped or most of the time when you go close to an edge, you'll automatically turn around and grab the edge. But in if you were running on ice, then there was specific... in. I don't know. I remember just having to do this specific thing a million times because it's I like kept the falling ice. straight down instead of turning around and grabbing the edge. I was it's like, like sliding on, on the ice uh, interferes with the context jump. Yeah, something. something. I'm not 100% sure what it was, but it was annoying as hell, and it wasn't there in the HD version. And then I went back and I played it on GameCube again, and it was still there, and I was like, okay, it wasn't just that I suck. This is a legitimate issue that was in the GameCube version. Because I don't think it would have even been all that bad, except it was really stressful because you were on a timer uh, in that area in the game. You know, I've always kind of liked ice areas in games when they were not about move, just walking on ice. Right. When, basically when there was more snow than ice. Yeah, because snow areas are pretty good too. I guess if we're even sticking in the Zelda series, we could go back to snow peak ruins and the the whole snow peak area is kind of cool because of that because a lot of its elements are uh snow related with rather than ice related which is kind of cool because like leading up you kind of go and there's like this whiteout conditions it's kind of hard to see where you're going and uh it actually the snow gets so deep it's like almost up to link's waist and he can't walk right through it unless he turns into wolf link and I thought that was a kind of an interesting thing, where Wolf Link could run over the top of the snow, but Human Link... is uh, wearing heavy-ass yeah, armor. Yeah, he's wearing heavy armor, loaded down by gear and stuff. So that was a kind of interesting, uh, you know, way to do that. And then that whole snowboarding minigame was fun as hell. Yeah. So fun that they decided to implement it in Breath of the Wild as, as surfing a on a core shield. mechanic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. Uh, literally. 
but um, I'll drink to that, or or because I made a bad joke. I forget what the rule is, but as long as I get to drink, I'm happy with. Also, the fire and ice area from uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. I did not get that far. I got to the second stage. Sometimes, but although, then when you die, you go all the way back, and you have to go through the first stage again. Although to be fair, pretty fire hard. and ice combo areas are kind of a. Uh, they're like kind of a thing, mm. and they're of their own. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of a good fire ice combo. Uh, the mountain dungeon from uh, Majora's Mask. Yeah, it's been a while since I did that one, so I didn't think of it. But yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and also the just Twin Rova as a boss with fire and ice. That's a good boss fight. Oh, yeah. With the, uh... Always like the mirror shield mechanic. Yeah. It's kind of unfortunate that they use that mechanic only in exactly that one instance. And other than that, like, you could never absorb any energy ever again in any Zelda game. Twiv- and you were Twin like, Rovo was just a work? more interesting boss than a lot of the bosses in general. Just because Twin Rova had, like, a build-up as a villain. Right, yeah. And then when they fuse together it winks at Link and then you're just like what the shit <laughs> it's, it's funny uh, in the German translation uh, Komei and Kotake uh, are actually labeled in the game as uh, killer grannies and then when they fuse together into Twin Rova their name is Sexy Thermo Hexy <laughs> which is like the best thing <laughs> I'm just like, it's so stupid, it's amazing. Because that's, that's kind of what it's trying to do. It's it's trying to turn you on and, you know, curse you. Have you ever noticed that when they, uh, when they die and they're arguing with each other, they're just saying my anus repeatedly over and over? My anus, 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 my anus. Yeah. You know, like uh, the uh, whole wheat. Whole wheat. Whole wheat. Whole wheat. Whole wheat. Whole wheat. Toast or bread? I don't know. Zora King never specified. Right. He just said he likes eyeballs. Yeah. Was that was a kind of an interesting ice area, almost, except for nothing was ever done with it. Yeah, it's... You just walk through and you're like, oh, all the Zoras are dead. Neat. Right. And then you save it, and the Zoras come back, but it still stays frozen for the rest of the game. And you're like, what the hell's with that? Shouldn't it have unfroze? I think I read somewhere that they were going to unfreeze it, but, you know, development got cut or something. Time constraints yeah. or something. Shit, shit happens like that in games, so I'm yeah. like, whatever. Sweep it under the rug. Yeah. I don't really care all that much, because, I mean, it worked all right. You never really had a reason to go back to Zora's Domain after that anyways, unless you hadn't already got the Biggeron Sword before you went into the first dungeon, like I do every time, because I'm... Incapable of playing Ocarina of Time without the Bigger on Sword. <laughs> Bigger on Sword is really, really good. I just, I don't know how to do it. I, it's weird, because I do it fine as Kid Link, but then when I'm Adult Link, I'm like, block and stab, doesn't work, nope, dodge, giant splice. <laughs> you know, jump attack everything, and one shot most almost every enemy in the game. Bigger on Sword is just... It's just so strong. And also, when you lose the Master Sword, you realize the Big Round Sword just hurts Ganon just as well. Yeah. Except you have to land the final blow with the Master Sword. Yeah. So, 
You got to stab straight through the head. Which is funny because the first time I was doing this, I was just like, I never re-equipped the Master Sword. And so I was <laughs> kept hitting him and hitting him and hitting him with the big round sword. And he's just not dying. And I'm like, what the hell's wrong? Why can't I kill him? <laughs> I'm out of magic. I'm almost out of hearts. And then I think Zelda at some point has some bit of dialogue that's like, he Use has to be sword. hit with the master sword. Yeah, it's, uh, so I'm like, oh, duh. Mm-hmm. I think I'm about out of ice areas that All I can right. think of off the top of my head. Right. If we have any other, we can, you know, sprinkle them on top as we go. So, the table topic is uh, on the topic of awkward-ass ice terrain. How do you implement terrain well into tabletops? So ice or otherwise. So depends on if you mean in combat, in exploration, in uh, uh just kind of in general. Kind of we'll cover each various piece here and there because I feel like it's something that our group really just kind of forgoes. In most cases, we're just like you know we're in a desert. Okay, I could be like okay, everybody except the druid who was raised in desert areas gets, you know, their terrain penalty for movement or whatever, but so in some cases that would just be annoying and I'm like is it is it worth it at that point? In exploration it's easier because I'm just like, oh, it's going to take you this long to cross over this terrain mm-hmm. cuz it's this kind of terrain you need these kinds of resources. You need like winter clothes for going over cold terrain or mm-hmm. whatever. But I have magic rito earrings. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, uh, that I have other things to say about that particular thing <laughs> later. <laughs> but for assuming you don't have magic Rito earrings, it's terrain matters when you're traveling over land and uh, right. Can't like teleport or fly over it. Yeah, every now and then it comes up for our. I guess, because a lot of... But, again, a lot of our campaigns that, like, you have to travel any significant distance, we usually have either magic to fly or that they're, you know, we the DM puts in some kind of system of fast travel to some extent. Yeah. Like, I like to put in trains, and then, you know, almost inevitably every time I throw in some sort of something fucks up on the train like uh oh we blew an engine uh oh there's a giant monster attacking us and that's basically like the fun stuff people are after anyway so (laughs) right yeah because i feel like part of the reason i do trains as a fast travel mechanic is just so that i can make a weird scene on a train and the way i was doing it previously and at least in one of my previous campaigns was as a hex crawl Uh where people are just going hex to hex and now i'm doing it as a point crawl where people walk along roads from, like, town to town or, like, city to city or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And those all have their own unique terrain and things you can come across. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna toot. I did it. Oh. I'll drink to that. But, yeah, I kind of try to think about terrain in some of my campaigns, especially if I'm doing any kind of unique weird area. Like, I, I did... A whole thing where any kind of ranged attacks would have mischance, and it, it was hard to navigate in uh, this cavern area that I made once. Uh, you remember that, Crag's Cavern. Yes. Um, in certain areas, it was like 
in most of the dungeon, it was like worked stone that was perfectly fine, but then you'd get to some of the areas that haven't actually been built yet, and it's just leads into, excuse me, natural caves and stuff like that. So it's harder to actually get around in. And so terrain in, like, dungeon exploration or combat exploration is also pretty interesting. Like, in dungeon exploration, having, like, a flooded room, assuming... Mm -hmm. uh, or, like, a partially flooded room where player characters have to walk through, and then guys in heavy armor have, like, a hard time. And then some of the... There's, like, pits that they can fall into that mm -hmm. you can't really see because the water's murky. Right, yeah, stuff like that. Or you get pulled under by zombies and shit. Yeah. Uh, I've done that kind of thing in swampy areas. Um, but, you know, not too much. Although I do think both of the times that I've made a swamp area, there have been zombies that drag people into the muck. It, and then they're like, you It's know, like a natural association. Yeah, it's like, hey, I've got a swamp. Why not put a bunch of zombies in it so that, you know, people are fighting for air or, you know, can't get back up because they're, you know, they have to make a swim check or something because it's like, it's deep enough that or it's shallow enough that they can stand up in it. But once they're, you know, dragged down to the very bottom on their you know prone position and grappled by a zombie then it's like you now you got to make some swim checks or something yeah you're gonna get have out some of difficulty shit. yeah yeah and it, we usually we just kind of gloss over it but i think there's a lot to there's a lot of good like fun that can be had just by not glossing over the difficulty of getting through terrain yeah. And of course, once player characters get to a certain power level, a lot of the stuff is just, I just stops applying. It's yeah, like, just, oh, I have my I thing where I'm I, immune to that. Right, yeah. Or I teleport away. Or, mm -hmm. or Right, it's like a first level party of adventurers come to a deep river that they have to ford, and it's like the rogue will swim across, and the fighter will try and, you know walk standing you know if it's not too deep without getting swept away and and uh you know whatever but then you know your 10th level party the mage is just like i fly us all over yeah and it, in i feel like so this is the thing i wanted to get to is i feel like there's a certain power level that happens specifically in D D at least yeah where the party just gets to the point where they can ignore a lot of those things, and the game kind of suffers for it, I guess? A little bit, yeah, but at the same time, I feel like there's... I, I feel like it's kind of like it is in uh, MMOs, particularly, I think, a World of Warcraft, when I make this association. D&D &D is a different game at starting level than it is at max level. Yeah, uh, Completely that's, different. That's you, absolutely true. You have true. completely different ways that you approach every problem, uh, you know, you have so many more powers that it's like there have to be so many other elements being thrown at you to make it interesting. And you can't, I feel like you can't have these little things in D&D &D that make the adventures so memorable as they are at first level. So you have to do big things that are memorable. You're, you're doing ridiculously epic shit where you're, you know, time stopping and casting 19 fireballs in a row or something. Yeah. D&D is absolutely a different game. It's like between low levels, mid levels, high levels, and the really high levels. Yeah. So that's one of... I think there's a lot of diversity there, so I don't think it's worse for it. But 
It's definitely different. It's worse for that aspect of it. Yeah. It's, at higher levels. If you really enjoyed that aspect of it, you're going to be missing yeah, it. Yeah, then you should just levels. like write your campaigns from level 1 to 5 and stop and re- make a new campaign. Yeah. And or, then you'll be good, right? <laughs> Uh, I, although admittedly some of the best campaigns I've ever had have been like low levels and then we never got back to them for some reason or another so yeah you know that's one of the things that happens too uh, and then I I guess high level characters can have like the planner adventures where they're on mechanic where they're on what is it Asheron or whatever and they're just on a sphere of a cube and like the cubes are smashing into each other mm-hmm. and then gravity's rotates based on how they're walking around it so that can get pretty interesting. That would be actually a really cool terrain kind of a... I, I like that sort of thing when it's incorporated in video games. Um, Sounds complex as fuck in yeah. tabletop. Yeah, it does. But you could make some hilarious stuff with it if you did it right. Mm-hmm. But I feel like almost you would need a visual aid to really get everybody on board with it. Like have some of those styrofoam like balls Cubes. that people make or yeah, yeah or crafts you know you get them at a craft store and people make them with the you know, you know make the solar system out of them and then like put a push pin on the bottom of your mini or something <laughs> to put on your guy and then be like oh and then it rotates like this and move the pieces around or something yeah and that's that's really cool but then yeah. it also you'd also want to make it generic enough that you could reuse it for different things in the same area or yeah. otherwise it's just a set piece that you have to go through because the DM spent money on these things, so of course you're going to go through it then. Right, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, the, the DM prepped it, and looks like he put a lot of work mm. into this, and it looks yeah. like this will be fun, so I guess we gotta. Mm. Oddly, one of the games I'm going to say that did this the best was actually Star Wars Angry Birds, <laughs> where there was like these planets and asteroids and stuff between you and the pigs you're trying to kill and you'd have to like throw your bird into a slingshot orbit around one planet to get them to come out the right direction to hit all the guys and as a puzzler it was actually really really well designed uh and just the physics behind it uh i don't know how complex that is to create but it felt really clever in such a small you know, mobile game that literally you wouldn't think much of, you know, because the original Angry Birds was basically just mind-numbing, like, it was fun, but it's like, just mind-numbing, yeah, slingshot, 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 but in this one, it's actually like, I feel like the puzzles were a lot better because of that. Huh. I I always did kind of like those gravity puzzlers, Mm -hmm. like that, but also, so, I'm also thinking of terrain as in, like, Oh, the whole clock tower fight where there's a bunch of, like, grinding gears where if someone stands in the wrong place, they just get ground up between gears where, like, a pendulum swings down and knocks someone out of the way uh-huh. kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, that's... It's kind of hard to emulate right. in a game. Well, you just Without. tell people to make perception checks and tell them, you see a pendulum, you see all these gears, you see all the... and give So give them all the information up front... But then surprise them as they are trying to get from one point to the other. Oh, the pendulum swings. Oh, fuck. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, these gears are rotating, so you have to make a balance check. And then the pendulum hits that guy. And then... <laughs> Reward the player who's like, so the pen- is the pendulum swinging this way? And you're like, yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm not going to go that way. Uh-huh. Are the gears grinding like this? Right. Yeah. 
that could actually make a really interesting dungeon. It would be a little bit complicated to set up, uh, but then, you know, if you just give them the whole gist of it, you know, hey, here's a... Uh, you know, you see this aspect, you see this aspect, or or even even just literally tell them all of the aspects, and but then you know if it's complicated enough, like a clock might be, uh, you know, paying attention to all of those at once might be interesting to see the players struggle with. <laughs> you know, just like oh, I forgot about this gear, uh, or the you know the you know like maybe a mechanical part like comes down and would is large enough to you know squish a character or something every couple of rounds and they're like oh shit forgot about that part you know when it's like five rounds in and they've been trying to get across this thing while they're fighting goblins or some shit that'd be hilarious yeah or like a ship on a very stormy sea where it's <laughs> going back and forth I do that sometimes where it's like you got to make balance checks when a, a wave hits the side or something. Or, um, or like part of the ship catches on fire, so someone has to deal with that. Yeah, uh, I think I have done that too. Um, or, you know, people getting knocked overboard by, uh, you know, grape shot from the other guy's cannons. That, uh, you know, all sorts of dumb shit. So... So, terrain has a lot of uses in combat and in, like, the tight exploration of, like, dungeon exploration mm. or, like, little location exploration and also, like, overworld exploration, at least up until players have teleport and just teleport everywhere. Mm -hmm. And even then, uh, once they get to planner travel, assuming you're doing the whole Great Wheel cosmology where you have some really weird planes... Uh, then terrain still matters because they gotta go. Okay, that's a river of lava. Mm -hmm. uh, even flying over it might be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I kind of want to give a quick shout out to uh, Elemental Knight, who joined us on a podcast once a little while ago. Uh, yeah, played a session of uh, Reclaim the Wild with us, which is he's one of the. I think he's the lead developer on it. If I remember right, it's a tabletop system based on mostly Breath of the Wild, but with elements of the entire Zelda series kind of worked in. Um, and he did a really good job just incorporating terrain into basically every aspect of the session that we ran. You know, we're starting in a desert and I was a Gerudo, so I wasn't affected by the terrain. Uh, but some of our enemies were, and we fought some Stalfoses, and then we had to rock climb a little bit, and then we got into the dungeon, and the one of the rooms in the dungeon had some quicksand, but there was stepping stones in the quicksand, but as a Gerudo, I could just step over it. So um, it was really clever dungeon design and really clever kind of... I almost felt like he designed the world leading up to the dungeon in kind of the same way that I actually design a dungeon, uh, where it's like, oh, here's, you know, this aspect here that you have to go to before we get there. Yeah. Uh, which was also just a... And just throughout the whole way, I feel like terrain was integrated really well. So he, he if you're looking for a good example of this, then go check out our episode about Reclaim the Wild. He does seem to have a really good grasp of, a, of putting terrain together and making it work and play. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else about terraininess? About terraininess? Uh, I mean, 
Oh, even things as simple as a hill separating an opponent from your group can be important. Yeah. Such uh, as when people try to charge over the top of a hill when the enemy caster is charging a lightning bolt. And then they happen to lose initiative, so the lightning bolt gets fired. That's something I was actually going to mention, too, is terrain doesn't always have to mean a specific... you know, like, this is ice terrain, this is quicksand terrain, this is lava terrain. You know, terrain can also be the placement of objects within the battlefield, whether that's a hill or a mountain or uh, buildings, trees, you know, rocks, a giant sarcophagus that the troll is standing on and about to jump off of, you know, shit like that. But then you might be able to use it as cover later. Because stuff like that is always something that I want to integrate into my dungeons, and then... A lot of times I get to it and I describe it and just nobody mentions it in the combat and so I kind of forget about it too. Yeah, and I think it's also sometimes, especially in games that are more mechanics heavy, like 3.5, Right. Uh, players are encouraged to think of things in terms of mechanics and not in terms of what's really going on yeah. in the fiction. Yeah. So they tend to... It's the whole, uh, instead of saying, I'm going to try and spot hidden things around us, they say, I make a perception check. Or yeah. instead of like giving a guy a raft of bullshit, they say, I'm going to roll a bluff check at this guy. Yeah. it's so Which is funny, because I, I find that actually some of the best uh, character development comes from not thinking about the dice. Don't, you know, and... It also works to skate your way around the DM sometimes and skate your way around the mechanics when you, like, if you come up with a semi-convincing story, but you don't say, I'm going to roll a bluff check to try and convince this person that I am the king of a distant land. You just say, uh, you know, in character as you're getting into that part of the conversation, you say, oh, well, I am the king of a distant land and we have traveled very far. Please, may we take refuge here? You know, something like that. Just say that. And... I feel like about 75% of the time, the DM won't care, and they'll just be like, oh, sure, this person has no reason to disbelieve you, so no dice rolls are going to be involved, and you're just going to get away with shit. Yeah. And depending on the level of, you know, how far you push it, oh, I am the greatest of the land, and you are now my slave, because I have the, you know, then you're going to, okay, you're going to have to have gonna a believe you Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you can't push it too far, but um, that's kind of a, one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get another beer, and why don't you tell us, while I'm getting another beer, about what your opinions are on, is there a bad way to add terrain into a campaign? Yes. I think the bad way to add terrain into a campaign is just to make it mechanics and pointless die rolling, as opposed to making it feel like the terrain it is. So, things like the difficult terrain mechanic where you say, oh, this is terrain, except this area over here is difficult terrain, so you move at half speed. That's, sure, I guess it has an effect tactically. For a more tactically oriented group than ours, it might have some impact, but it's not interesting. It doesn't, it's not worth the effort of adding I would think. It's not like a wall that you can bulldoze someone into or a pile of sand or like cover someone can take 
while they're firing something, or even like a hazard to avoid. Mm -hmm. It's not something the players can't interact with and use to their advantage, or that makes them have to change up their game plan significantly. It's just boring. Yeah. Uh, I think in, like, long, long range travel, also, it should just be avoided. Like, oh, you're going from one side of the country to the other, you know, oh, and you have to cross this river and this desert, so here, let's make 12 balance checks and, and this many, you know, survival checks so you get all your food and, you know, I, it's I like, think... to a certain point, if you're going over a long, long range, then... It's like, you can just say, okay, you get there eventually, unless you're literally going to have adventures between there. Then then it's okay. Then it's like, okay, here's a, you're going through the desert and that's going to be our session. You know, and I something think like if that. traversal is, assuming you are having adventures there, mm -hmm. um, assuming you're not just hand-waving it, and hand-waving it's fine. There's, it's either either about the specific locations that you're going to or it's about, like, the journey. Um, if you're not hand-waving it, the best way to handle it would be like, okay, this river is has this particular thing going on with it, so it requires this method to ford it that's mm -hmm. unusual. It's like a river that has sudden currents or, like, say you have to whitewater raft down this river and you have to make navigation choices. Uh -huh. The DM just says, I'm going to give you five seconds. You have to choose left or right at this pass. And if you don't choose, your raft is going to crash into the rocks. Right. Left or right. Five, four, three, two. And then just get the players to shout something. Right. And yeah. then laugh and then, as they shout different answers right, and yeah. crash anyway. And just be like, okay, so... Uh, the barbarian is steering left. The rogue is steering right. The barbarian is slightly stronger. So you crash. You all take a d6 damage, but you go the barbarian's direction. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> bullshit like that. Actually, that could lead for some really awesome gameplay. But then, obviously, the other side of that is, you know, if you're going too far with it or just not doing something interesting with it, like, oh, you are on a river and you have to white rod a raft down, um... Everybody make a balance check to make sure you don't fall out, and then make a navigation check to see if you go the right way. And then, like, everybody in the party is going to make a navigation check, and they're going to go with the first, you know, whoever got the highest roll. Yeah. And he's going to lead the way. And at that point, it's just, okay, it's why, like why are we here? Why are we even right? rolling? <laughs> yeah, you're, like, metagaming slightly too much. It would be even, actually, more hilarious if, like, the party had to split into groups of... Like, like there's like canoes or something, so you had to <laughs> you had to like fo follow each other and like yeah, okay one person per canoe or or maybe even two. Which direction does everyone go? And then they all shout different directions and they're like, "All right, you guys go in these different directions." It's a good thing I have mm -hmm. this this uh, the paths on this river mapped out. <laughs> right? Yeah, if you map that out beforehand, and then they end up in like totally different areas. <laughs> That'd be hilarious because some of them might reconnect and some of them might not, and some of them might lead to a dead end or a fucking reservoir or something. Yeah, you're like, oh, you show up in your canoe shows up in a pool and it starts spinning around in the center of the pool, and then the and then make a fortitude saver. You barf due to dizziness. <laughs> yeah, you get a penalty if you've been drinking. Oh, look, your, your canoe is about to go over this waterfall. What do you do? Oh, what? 
yeah, you didn't see it before because, you know, you were too busy trying to go the direction you wanted to go and not crash, but uh, there's I a waterfall totally, here. Like, the next session of whatever I run, you guys are going to be, like, whitewater rafting, and then you're going to find the clock tower. <laughs> <laughs> Quit giving me ideas, Chris. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, if, uh, if you're having your players go over terrain and you don't want to just hand wave it, have it make it a fucking adventure. Don't yeah. just make it a series of rolls because that's boring. Yeah, rolls should be in- instigated in some purposes. Yeah, but the rolls shouldn't be the only thing that defines it. And I feel like that occasionally has been a. Pro- I'm I'm trying to think of a specific example of when it was a problem, but I feel like it has been a problem at some point in my D and D play where it's been like. Oh, you're traversing this? Make a roll here. Make a roll here. And then maybe there's a random encounter of some orc tries to rob you in the night or something. It's like, whatever. Why are we even... Who, who cares? Yeah. And then, oh no, somebody somebody sees the orc. And then we wake up. And we beat up the orc. And then we go back to bed. And the wizard doesn't have his spells prepared for the next day. But we're on the road for three more days, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who cares? It's a... Uh... When you present that stuff, make present it in a way that presents the players like nasty choices where they have to sacrifice stuff. They're like, you're, you're a little too weighed down with gear. Do you want to ditch your gear and not sink? Or do you mm-hmm. want to try and make it and probably crash or and like start to drown? Right. Cool. So yeah. those are the do's and don'ts of terraining. Yeah. Um, good Good topic. Yeah. Any uh, favorite type of terrain to add into a D&D game? Uh, I, I always like the like deep, snowy terrain that takes a long time to cross. Mm-hmm. And I have an anecdote to finish this off with, is that uh, on the, I want to say, the third session of my current campaign that I'm running for my other group, the players went into uh, early spring, they went into the mountains when it was still deep snow. Right. Through a kind of a long mountain pass, and they didn't bring enough food. So for a while there, they were having to consider Donner partying some of the bandits they had killed. Mm-hmm. Nice. You're a fucked up monster, and I love you for it. <laughs> I toot it again. Gross. I'm not sorry. So it's a natural uh, thing. So yeah, it happens you, to everybody. If you can get your players to seriously consider Donner part, uh, throwing a Donner party, uh, in the course of play to keep their characters fed and not dead, uh, I think you've done well. Yeah, probably. Food is another topic that maybe we'll go to another time because. I feel like that's something that's usually hand-waved in our group, that it's just like nobody pays attention to food. Nobody, most yeah. people probably don't even have trail rations on their character sheet. Like, I usually remember to put trail rations on just in case somebody asks about it, and then nobody asks about it. I Yeah, I and feel like... Occasionally it'll come up, like, because I'll be like, I'll give a trail ration to a peasant or some shit, and then I'll reduce my stock from... A fortnight to thirteen days. Oh, we and have then a cleric. He's creating food for us. Yeah, that's it. Right. It yeah. It gets hand waved a lot. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that could be its own topic. 
I, I feel like we would probably say our stuff and be like done with it fairly shortly. Yeah. But it, you know, we'll, we'll maybe we should come up with like a list of micro topics. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good point. idea. Um. Anyways, uh, Chris brings a thing. So this is something I kick started. That's the uh, apparently theme song for Chris brings a thing. Uh, Chris brings a thing. Yeah, Chris okay. brings a thing. I've brought Magical Industrial Revolution, a pre-apocalyptic setting guide by Scruples. And you'll you'll notice I brought like a lot of this guy's stuff because yeah, it's you all brought Scruples good. a couple of times, I think. But this is his first like major hardback hardcover release. Yeah, it's a. It is actually a high-quality print, at least. <laughs> I haven't looked at it, but high-quality paper, high-quality uh, back. And the premise Green. behind it is basically, what ha- What if the Industrial Revolution, but wizards, and also uh, man's hubris caused it to cause the apocalypse? Mm. So there's a bunch of weight per- potential apocalypses in there. Cool. So is this like a campaign setting? Uh, it's like a campaign setting that you have to like fit things in, but it's also... Is it for a specific system? It's for... It's not for a specific system. Uh, I think you could get it to work with pretty much any kind of D&D. But okay. I know he writes cool. a lot for a system called the Goblin Laws of Gaming, hmm. which is probably what this is more aimed towards. Yeah. Okay, so it's somewhat... Magic steampunk kind of yeah. game, it sounds like, a little bit. And it's just what happens if wizards actually use their magic to, you know, do industrial shit instead of just being mm. wizards in towers. It's a lot of really cool monotone art in here. It's all just straight black and white, but there's a lot of diversity kind of in what's going on. And uh, yeah, high detail bits here and there, and it's really cool. Um, ooh, you can get newspapers. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, uh, you can buy magical, you can buy magical machinery that does certain specific magical things. All right. And then you can set up your own magic factories and watch them explode, because there's a, there's a table in there for magical explosions that happen when you do bad shit with magical machinery. Mm Mm-hmm. Sweet. You get five months off at the end of the year. Yeah. Six months off. Apparently, from the uh, social calendar. Wow. I wish I got a six-month break. Yeah, that'd be nice. Giant-ass carousing tables. Nice, nice. Those are always interesting. Your players get drunk. You don't know uh, what to do with them. That's what happens to them. <laughs> yep. Dire Convulsion. Must purchase 1d6 doses of opium per week or go mad. I know someone who had that happen to him. Gout, peptic ulcers, or drink have ruined your health. Permanently lose 1 HP. Mm. And the system he writes for, uh, it caps out at a max HP of 20. Uh-huh. So, that's a big fucking deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is kind of interesting, too, because they're also kind of sorted into general events and then the seven deadly thin sins... And then hatred is the last category, so they're, you could kind of pick just a, a D10 roll even, depending on what exactly you, the character you're t- 
talking to is likely to do, maybe. Yeah. So it's uh, kind of an interesting... So it's not just a D100 table, but you could also kind of customize it based on the situations at hand. Actually, that's a really cool table. You should buy this book just for that table. Yes. And this book <laughs> is... This book should also, go on actually, sale. Yeah, the, the rest of it sounds pretty interesting. This book, I think, was supposed to go on sale either early next month or early next year. So... Mm-hmm. So, highly recommend uh, if you want, like, a Victorian-era horrible uh, magical industrial thing with uh, orphans getting their hands caught in uh, magic missile gears and stuff like that. You know. You know. Uh, magic. But also brutal. 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 Alright. Okay. Yeah, so uh, what'd you rate that on a scale of 3 to 17? Uh, well, it's a question of whether I rated a 16 or a 17. All right. Uh, Does it have any negative points? The, the only negative points I can think of don't really matter for people who have not re- read the Cerebus Club. Hmm. Uh, I, I would say that the social classes system is in this is not as detailed as it is in the Cerebus Club, but it's covering a lot more. It's a product by one guy covering a lot more ground and a lot less time. So I'm going to go with a 17. All right. That's a badass book right there. Yeah. Cool. You going to run us through that? Uh, I was seriously considering it. Yeah. That would be interesting. You was, haven't DM'd in a while for our group. I was considering updating my Southport uh, campaign setting 100 years in the future and just letting all of the things that happened previously in that game be historical. Mm-hmm. And then updating it to the uh, magic to the industri- magical industrial revolution time period mm-hmm. and just let you guys run through that and explore the island left by a series of other players and run into the random encounters and stupid bullshit that those players pulled off and let you guys leave your mark on that world. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Um, but would that be contingent on you actually doing stuff? Uh, I would... Yes, I'd have to do some <laughs> stuff. Because... That's I wouldn't have to do that much. Sometimes that's the issue there. Um, and you guys would have to accept... Uh, you guys would have to accept the higher mortality system. The five cataclysm system. Right. Because uh, I'm I'm more open to that. I'm like leaning towards normal-ish systems. But I'm more open to that than our the rest of our group, I feel like, sometimes. Yeah. So it's it's it's... It's kind of a hard sell sometimes, I think. I think if I wanted to... If players were like, no, I really want to get attached to this character, I'd be like, fuck it, I'll import the dismemberment rules from my new game mm-hmm. and say, okay, you guys lose arms and legs instead of your life. Actually, that sounds badass. Because actually, one of the uh, coolest characters I ever had, you remember Mordecai. Yeah. Um, I was this uh, druid. Um, and I lived out on the outskirts of town, and when the zombies came and invaded this town, it ended up being a giant-ass zombie apocalypse, uh, was kind of the premise for the campaign. Um, the, uh, player characters kind of fled from town into my forest, and I was like, hey, what the fuck are you guys doing here? And they were like, you know, uh, zombies. 
<laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I'll team up with you, and maybe we can figure out the, you know, cure for the zombies. And we ended up adventuring around for a while, and, you know, we figured out... I got bit by a zombie, but I was, you know, our basically our medical professional for the team, because I was the only person with any healing magic whatsoever. You were the only person with any magic whatsoever. That's also true, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we ever had a mage in that particular setting. No. Uh... But yeah, that was that was a fun campaign anyways. And then uh but I got bit once and uh I cut off my own arm or maybe I had you cut off my arm cuz you were a barbarian in that campaign, I think. That was a uh, Lexi was a barbarian. Lexi was a barbarian. I was a ranger? Okay. I never So maybe Lexi cut off my arm. Anyway, somebody yeah. cut off my arm and we uh, you know, bandaged it up real quick and I gave myself a healing spell to try and keep myself alive and it uh the I got a basically the DM let me reroll my save with a bonus to not die and turn into a zombie automatically from the virus, uh, which this was actually a fairly high mortality campaign. Uh, not that three five is a as high mortality system, but you can definitely make three point five campaigns really highly lethal. It's a question of what you put the players up against. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so in this case, it was. We had a few player character deaths, I think. Uh, I think Lexi's Barbarian did eventually die. And I think Devin had a character that he lost at some point. We, we lost a lot of NPCs that we kind of got a little attached to. Uh, and, uh, they, you know, we're all trying to protect all the NPCs, you know, in theory, to keep our numbers bigger. Because they would help in, in battles, actually, even though they weren't all that great. I think the one that lasted the longest was the angry baker chick with the rolling pin. They would literally just beat the fuck out of zombies with a rolling pin. That's the kind of character you want to live forever. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and uh, M was another one who was uh, like the mortician at a, a place we found one time. Right. I but he every that. time he... Uh, introduced himself he would say a different name and eventually we just started calling him M because like I think, I think he had yeah like vermouth right <laughs> he had like three names in a row that started with the letter M and we're like I'm just calling you M whatever fuck it <laughs> um, and he ended up uh, but yeah he was an interesting guy too because he would like stab people with his embalming tool the thing I remember about that campaign is getting attacked by zombie crows and surviving just because I lit myself on fire and ran into the forest. That comes in handy. <laughs> I think uh, other characters died that day, but yeah. not me, because I was on fire. We should have a conversation about highly lethality games at some point. I'm going to put yeah. that on the uh, future questions here. I have opinions about that. Lethality and discussion. I have multiple opinions about that. They don't necessarily agree. Right. <laughs> Chris has multiple opinions. Okay. Anyways, that's on the document now. We can remember it later. Yeah. So, anyways, I got like half a beer left. You want to have an extra couple of fan topics? Sure. We haven't had Fuck. fan topics in a little while. Unless we want to keep talking about the this book here. We could. You got more to say about it? Uh... I want to build a I, w I want to build a magic factory cuz it has rules for that. That would be neat. That's not something I've seen in any other game. Is a game where you have 
you can build your own magic factory. It's got that automation thing going. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it. Okay. All right, our stuff. <laughs> so our uh, fan topics are actually both from Andrew J., who uh, is on Twitter, and he's also constantly on the two guys playing Zelda Discord, uh, talking about whatever random beer he's drunk the last week. So uh, he's on there. He actually has a beer almost every day, and so he's got some interesting kind of suggestions for beer on there. If you want to go follow him on Twitter or on uh, ch- you check out the two guys playing Zelda Discord, we are, as far as I know, the only gaming Discord that has a specific chat section for what alcohol you are drinking huh because we are a badass like that so check out the two guys playing zelda discord if you want to just general gaming discussion zelda specific discussion or beer discussion we have all your bases covered not necessarily just beer uh mostly beer because it's mostly andrew and me just talking about beer and uh every now and then somebody will pipe in with oh here's a wine or a cocktail i tried out or every now and then you know i'll post one of the cocktails we have on the podcast stuff like that so check it out um so uh what kind of beer would link be likely to prefer i'm gonna say lawn lawn milk stout you know that would make a lot of sense yeah i mean i could see him link drinking a wheat beer but gotta have the dark beers there right yeah i mean a nice sweet milk stout would be you know kind of that in between step yeah and that sort of seems like the uh or maybe a nice balanced like red ale that's kind of the thing the closest we'd come to canonical yeah it's uh him drinking right i actually came up with a list one time of like if i ever had the startup capital to start my own brewery i'd like make all these uh Zelda themed beer it is like Lon Lon Milk Stout and a Stolfo Strong Scotch Ale. Strong Stolfo Strong Scotch Ale. Yeah, and uh, had a few other good. Oh, Dodongo Whiz Wheat. Because I don't mostly like wheat beers very much. <laughs> but every now and then I like them. Yeah. Wheat beers are uh, sometimes food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see. What else would Link like? A kind of silent beer? Is, is there a silent beer? Uh, Zora, let's see. Zora Pilsner. Because it's fucking close to water. Ah. <laughs> Zora Vagina. <laughs> Zora Penis. Zora Penis. Or multi-inclusional here. Yeah. We don't judge. Yeah. I mean... Except about beer. I mean, I mean, I will judge you if you are turned on by a fish. That's fucking weird. Like this whole thing where everybody's I'm like... I'm into too much weird shit shipping, to judge about that. Right. I don't know. But people like shipping Link and Sidon, I'm like, they can't make out. Sidon's head is a shark. Also, he doesn't have lips. Yeah. Like, Link would try to make out and Sidon would accidentally eat his face. But I guess that also applies to... Wait, no, that doesn't apply to Miva. Not quite as much, yeah. Not, not to the same extent. Yeah. Her head is like a normal-ish fish. Not like Princess Ruto. What the fuck is her head? It's not even a fish. Are you sure she's a Zora? I don't know. They. She's like half Zora, half like the aliens from Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. What is she like a moonfish or something? <clears throat> Maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway, next question: Would Link be any good at playing Dungeons and Dragons? No. 
Not even a little. <laughs> right? He'd just be you like... you just go, hot! <laughs> no, you the need to make time. an attack roll. Hot! Or he'd have, like, really narrow dialogue options. Said, all right, what do you want to buy from the merchant? Yes. <laughs> Bomb arrows? Yes. Fire arrows? Yes. yes. A Dodongo dick? Yes. Yes. Why does he have that? Beetle gets around. <laughs> On the bright side, if he had a way of communicating that didn't involve talking, he'd be really good at puzzles. Yeah. I mean, he could he could just communicate with it, like emoticons, like in Triforce Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Item throw. Item throw. <laughs> Item throw. Uh, oh, I know. I throw my boomerang at the wall. Your boomerang falls down a 45-foot pit. God damn it! Link, you fucking idiot! Why did you tell me to do that? He's confused as to why it doesn't come back. <laughs> right. Maybe it's an Irish boomerang. Irish boomerangs never come back. They just sing about how much they want to. Good old Irish folk song joke there for you. Didn't expect that when you tuned in to Drink to the Past tonight, did you? Yeah. Should we do our sign-off dialogue and then continue talking until... Yes. Also, we should note that actually it is past 12 o'clock mountain time, so if you are in the mountain or uh, Pacific time zones, the uh, Black Friday deals we told you about are no longer there. Mountain or central or eastern time zones. Right. I had it backwards. Yeah. You know what I meant. Yes. Rises in the east, not the west. And if you live in, like, the United Kingdom, why? Right. So if you live in L.A., then you've got 40 minutes. Aren't you supposed if to? I, if I post this right now. So you've got less than 40 minutes. Yeah. So uh, Also, like, by the time it. you get to this part of the podcast, it's actually long past that. So you're fucking Unless sorry. you're, like, skipping through it. I guess I'm not getting that blasphemous physical edition because it's too late for us now. Yeah. Damn. Too late. Unless they randomly sell on Eastern time. I guess I'll check when we're, you know, done. But yeah. first we've got to do that bullshit thing where we just talk for a while until we say something awkward and then cut off the podcast. That, like, freak, like, Peyton had a kind of a tough time with that on the podcast when you weren't here, and it was funny. I should download that podcast and listen to it. Yeah, listen to our podcast, would you? Also, I'm going to chill my thing and by my thing I'm going to Oh yeah, we always my we, friend's thing. I forgot to sign off. Yeah, didn't I? So yeah, I'm Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, uh, blah blah two guys playing Zelda. Here's Chris. I'm Chris uh, Stole Eights Blizzard Audet uh, Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition and House of Flowers. I wrote those things. You can pick them up or I didn't entirely write Core Rules Beta Edition by myself, but uh, I had a I wrote a lot of it. We call it 50-50, basically. And my friend also (laughs) writes modules. You do gotta pay money for those, but they're good. So, do pay money for those. Like any of them, they're good. Right. Uh, Alright. Now I got that out of the way. So, yeah, actually, you can check out twoguysplayingzelda.com for some of my opinion articles and various things. I actually, my last post I put on there, uh, I've got one post on there main site uh the zelda site is the top five beers to pair with playing the legend of zelda 
Uh, so that was a fun article to put together, and I got to shill five great beers. One of them is rum. <laughs> That's not a beer. It's That's the, a rum. It was the beer of the week at it's least once, I'm certain. Anyway, uh, and also, Two Guys Playing Zelda.com just recently updated. We now have Two Guys Playing Zelda uh, Gaming, or TGPZ Gaming. Um, and that's uh, basically kind of the some of the same staff, and we're writing various articles about uh, just general gaming and stuff. And I wrote an article on there about why Doom 3 is the best Doom, because Doom 3 is great. Also, Doom 3 is only 10 bucks on the Switch eShop or PS4, whatever their eShop is called, or probably actually basically everywhere. I think you can get that on everything now, Xbox One and Steam as well. Huh. Um, so if you haven't played Doom 3, it's a really great game, and for 10 bucks, you're getting actually quite a lot of content because it's got the uh, uh, original expansion, Resurrection of Evil, and it's got uh, the Lost Mission, which was uh, originally released in the BFG edition, uh, which was a, basically an enhanced edition that came with the a expansion of this. Uh, I mean, there was a we BFG wish. in all of them, right? It <laughs> comes with free BFG with purchase. Holy shit! You just fire that at your card, test it, then you realize that you shouldn't have done that because no, now you no longer have a car. I neither do the people who park next to you for, like, three spaces. Well, who cares about them? Not them. They didn't have my car. Yeah. Those dicks. Anyway. But, yeah, and it's, uh, the Lost Mission is basically some, I think it's eight levels that were cut during production of Doom 3, and they're actually really, really good. So, check check that out if you haven't. Doom three for ten bucks is a I should deal. take a look at that. Yeah, and also Mountain Blade Bannerlord is coming out March twenty twenty because they actually announced an early access release date. And by God, they better stick to it, or else that or else uh, mm. that game will never get finished. March is gonna be a busy time. Yeah, you got um, that apparently also coming out March twenty twenty is. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, and Animal Crossing, and Doom Eternal. And I might pick up the Final Fantasy VII Remake if I feel like buying a PS4 in the meantime. Right. I'm going to get Final Fantasy VII Remake, definitely. That actually looks really, really good. And basically everybody who was playing the demo at E3 says it's, like, a lot better than they expected to. I was like... Wow, that's actually pretty sweet. So I'm going to definitely pick up that and um, Doom uh, Eternal. That'll be great. Also, the same day Doom Eternal comes out, uh, Doom 64 comes out. And if you pre-order Doom Eternal, you actually get Doom 64 for free. Because uh, uh, I think it's coming out for around the same price as Doom 3 is, about 10 bucks, something like that. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, it's, it's obviously just a port of an old game. Uh, but I think it's kind of cool to see because Doom 64 has literally never been released on anything outside of Nintendo 64 before. So now it's going to be coming to Xbox One, PC, PS4, and Switch. And now it'll actually be released for things that are 64-bit. Yes. Ah. It's, a, it's a dumb joke. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty dumb. You have to drink. Like one drop in the rest of your beer. You have to drink it. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> it's a good beer. Yeah. 
I was hoping it would be. Uh, I haven't actually had that one yet, so hopefully I'll have one of those later. I was glad we got it on the podcast, though, because uh, peanut butter porter doesn't come up all that much. Peanut butter is not a common brewing ingredient, but it's one that I see every now and then. There's like a ball aerospace logo on the bottle of that. I guess that's who cans them. Hmm. Ball does canning. Yeah. Neat. And aerospace. Yeah. They, they do both of those Basically things. the same thing. Yeah. You know? Almost exactly. Pressurizing beer inside of a can or pressurizing oxygen inside of a... Spaceship. Spaceship, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Just, you know, larger scale and uh, one of them has... The higher know, stakes. <laughs> larger scale, higher stakes. Giant ass thrusters on the back of it. Yeah. It's not that different. Uh, I actually have a bomber that I've been saving for a while. Maybe we'll have to open that at some point. Um, that's uh, Ninkasi Brewing Company teamed up with some... Um, some... I, I forget who now, but uh, they teamed up with some kind of aerospace engineers that actually shot their barley and hops into space and then the the shipment came back down and they made a beer with it. Huh. So uh, it's like a space beer? Yeah. So the, the hops in our beer has literally been to space. I've been sitting on that for a little while now, so maybe we'll open that up at some point on the podcast. And maybe we won't. Because we'll save it for something special. I don't gonna, know. Are we going to have another podcast with you, me, and Peyton? Maybe. Where we uh, yell at each other? Maybe. About stupid shit? That sounds like us. Yeah. I uh, I actually had Peyton enjoy a beer on the podcast last week, too. Huh. Enjoy? Yeah. Uh, that's a surprise. Again, a Denver beer company, actually. Because um, you're probably familiar with their Princess Yum Yum. I, yeah, I really like their Princess Yum Yum. Yeah, uh, so Peyton actually, uh, he didn't drink very much of it, but he drank a sip and he was like, actually, that was pretty good. I like that. I would drink that. And I'm like, sweet. That makes sense. The like, beer Peyton would like. He likes the fruit beers. Yeah, because uh, that's kind of what I was imagining. I'm like, maybe next time I'll get him like a shock top or something. You know, that's that's kind of interesting. Maybe he uh, likes the fruit beers. Maybe he'd be a wine guy. Yeah, maybe. He likes mead too, I know. He's had little bits of meat here and there. Uh, I think mostly that time I was camping with him and Tyler. Because uh, Tyler usually brings some accoutrements when we go camping. And I usually bring some accoutrements when we go camping. So, uh, yeah. And none of you bring mushrooms. Yeah, that's that's true. We don't. That would have been a great place to cut off. But... Uh, I, I did not have the app open to... Uh, you didn't have the thing off. ready? Yeah, I, I didn't Damn. have the thing ready. I gotta think, we got to think of something else. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, eventually the conversation always deteriorates or degenerates, whichever way you want to look at it, into something... Degenerates? Yeah, something like no. that. Anyway. Yeah, that was awful. Yeah. I um, apologize. But that's okay, because I've still got some beer left, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish my beer at some point. Mm-mm. So, what do you do when your player characters get in a fight with a diff- with an entirely separate N- NPC adventuring party? And they come to blows and nearly knock each other out. In my group's case, it was uh, one of the players who showed up late showed up and fired a couple sticks of gunpowder at the entire group and uh, uh, would have killed three of the players in addition to all of the... <laughs> NPC party members. 
if uh, if the dismemberment system was not in place. Nice. I just saw this uh, meme that was like this uh, guy bowing down to a uh, like this giant kingly figure, and uh, it's like the kingly figures got the this little label says DM, and the guy bowing down is like the late player. And the sword is labeled as a $5 foot long. <laughs> I'm like, that, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. I would, I would be happy to have that come for me. Right. If you're late, bring me food. You're, you're good, bro. Actually, I'm owed some back taxes on tacos from most of the members. Yeah, actually. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it kosher to talk about our cult on the podcast? 